Hello. Hello! You're listening to Green Minds at Imperial College. A podcast that explores topics related to climate change and sustainability. I'm Adina Molnar. And I'm Adam Eisenberg, your host for this show. We're two master's students at Imperial College Business School in London. Each episode, we are sitting down with guest speakers to talk about a specific topic within the field of sustainability and their insights on how to make an impact. We hope you enjoy the show. Today's episode is about a social enterprise that is providing off-grid electricity and sustainable water filtration systems in refugee camps in Greece and Rwanda. We are really happy to have Alexandros Angelopoulos from LP Solar with us today. Hi, Al- Alex. Hi, Dean Adam. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Welcome, Alex. Um, just to give everyone a background, Alex did a Bachelor of Science in Ecological and Environmental Sciences and Management at the University of Edinburgh and is now at Imperial College. So, Alex, can you tell us more about Elpis Solar, um, what you guys do, and, and really how the idea came about? So, yeah, just to give you a brief background of uh, how the idea emerged, Essentially, as students, we often talk about things in theory, but rarely venture out into the unknown, uh, implementing our thoughts, our ideas. We wanted to change that by taking action the moment the refugee crisis was uh, unveiling in Greece. Um, I was volunteering at a marine conservation NGO in one of the islands that is uh, just a few miles across the the, um, coastline of Greece and Turkey. So we, we share the Aegean Sea. So I first saw the migrant boats arriving at the at the coastline we're trying to help them by offering water at that time you know it was really um the effort the whole effort and the, the response to the crisis was not as organized the first camps were starting to form and a few refugees uh, a group of people approached me at the harbor to ask whether they can use their phone my phone to contact their uh, family um was and was this in twenty when was it? That was uh, tw- 2016? yeah twenty sixteen summer of twenty sixteen, um, no actually summer of t- uh, twenty fifteen and then when I returned okay. um, and pitched the idea to my uh, friend close friend uh, Samuel Keller is also the other co founder um, that yeah we should do something about addressing this need and the lack of electrification in some of the camps. Um, he immediately thought, yeah, why not put together some of our skills from our degree in, in um, sustainability and environmental sciences to build a basic prototype at the beginning that can serve the needs of people staying in these um, off-grid settings at that time. Um, so what we're talking about is um, charging station for mobile phones for the refugees? So we, yeah, we're providing access to electricity through solar power, so essentially mobile for, phone charging stations that also entail a Raspberry Pi element, so it's essentially it's a mini computer, a low-cost computer where you can load information, um, access to PDFs, uh, Wikipedia and other resources that people can um, just view on their on their phone offline, you know, without um, needing any access to the internet. And it's a pretty effective way of disseminating information at really low cost, um, powered by essentially solar power without consuming a lot of electricity. And so how how big are these solar panels that you guys are using? So it's 100, uh, 150 watts, but we had to adjust it. We started with um, 110 and then, you know, went into like larger designs. Um, and essentially, they can serve uh, 120 people per day. The, the, this is the, the capacity. Uh, so 10 hours, uh, t- 12, 12 users per hour for 10 hours of autonomy of, offered by the, the device. So that's 120 per day. 
300,600 uh, 300, in per per month if it's uh, used at its optimum you know maximum maximum capacity what's the capacity of the refugee camps do you know so some of the, the camps we're addressing so we have uh, stations in eight uh, eight camps in Greece so some of them have 3,000 people, 2,000. Really, the, the camps in Greece compared to other Middle Eastern ones such as Al-Zatari and all the ones, Astrak, um, are not that big. They cover 3,000 to 4,000 uh, 4, people per month, wow. max. So in, in some camps, such as the flagship camp of Karatepe in Lesbos that Pope Francis and Angelina Jolie visited, um, has more than two stations uh, because they're... There is an overall movement towards sh shifting the needs and becoming more um, sustainable. And overall, the, the first green camp in Greece, they've installed all their um, solar li lighting street systems there uh, by the IKEA Foundation. And we were glad that we can contribute and introduce our devices. That's very cool. It mm -hmm. sounds like it's a, you're solving a small issue and going on a bigger scale mm -hmm. more and more. You also expanded to Rwanda, if that's correct? Yeah, exactly. So after uh, piloting our devices in, in Greece, um, we realized that the refugee crisis exceeds the geographical location of, of Europe. You know, it was an emergent problem. It, it was happening in Europe, just in our countries, having, having experienced it in Greece. But then realize refugees and migration is happening all, all across the globe and for example we uh, found a camp in Rwanda Mahama camp the largest in the country that uh, accommodates Burundian refugees and we realized that there there's actually a larger need because the camp is completely off grid now most of the camps in Greece have been upgraded uh, they've introduced ISO boxes amenities um, people have access to electricity now, whereas in Rwanda, it's completely off-grid, and there they use kerosene, uh, cook stoves, improvised ways of, you know, charging their phones uh, with heavy batteries that they load on, on, on their um, on cars. Um, so we thought, why not expand and target more more locations in need? And, and why specifically Rwanda? Is that just where... Um, so we partnered up with, uh, with an institution in... in um, Edinburgh, where the whole idea developed, where we received, uh, you know, support and uh, guidance from mentors, and then we approached challenges worldwide there. Um, they operate in seven African countries, and they helped us sort out the logistics, gain um, access to the camp, you know, uh, sorting out things with uh, government officials, because yeah, there's a whole process behind introducing devices, getting approvals, quantifying the impact and trying to also make them as um, robust and resilient so that you make sure that you don't introduce a, a, a resource that after a while will become, um, you know, redundant or inefficient. You want to put something there that is going to improve the livelihoods of people for a longer period of time. And that's where um, our whole design thinking, um, th that's where we implemented design thinking to identify first the needs tailor it to the to to the to the needs of the of the uh, people staying in the camps and design something robust um that can you know stay there in the long run so are the devices in Rwanda different from the ones in Greece so yeah that's the thing in our second pilot we try to introduce more services apart from access to um electricity for charging so essentially water filtration uh, is an extra component we add an extra layer a triple line filtration 
um, as the water quality is not the greatest in the cabin, people um, um, take water from the nearby riverbed, um, you, you know, and nor normally they add um, different alkaline solutions and different ver improvised ways of uh, improving water quality. So our device uh, filters out these uh, chemicals and provides um, purified water. And then the third element is lighting at night for safety in the camp and so that users can you know, gather around the device, uh, it can act as a social hub, as a social spot, they can read. Simultaneously, they can access um, our Raspberry Pi content um, in the user-friendly uh, platform we've developed um, and access content that we've preloaded, translated into uh, the various, you know, languages. Uh, you keep referring to the Raspberry Pi. Do you mind just quickly explaining what that is? Yeah, so the, the Raspberry Pi is a mini computer. So essentially it's a little hardware device. That it's very small and it acts like a server. Um, just by powering it, um, it gives a Wi-Fi signal on, on your phone. You go on your browser and then by typing the code that we've uh, provided the, the users with, then a, a platform, a, a mini website with different resources, PDFs, uh, legal information, educational content, um, various resources um, pops up on their, on, on their screen. And um, the beauty of it is that we can always tailor and upgrade the, the content and upload it even remotely. Um, and given that most camps don't have centralized like screens or, or, or ways of um, passing information down to users, it's it can be quite effective through um, through Raspberry Pi. Yeah, that seems like a really good way to distribute mm -hmm. information, keep people informed on on what they should know. And yeah. um, so the the microcomputer, where is that located in the? So it's placed within the device. It's really small. It's like 20 by 10. Uh, so you just place it within the device, uh, the, the overall solar hub or the oh, okay. swapsy okay. that is, you know, the water filtration station. Right. And then uh, it's connected to the battery. We have a inverter. Sorry, these are probably more technical stuff, but maybe for people that are interested in that. And then um, it, gets, it gets powered and it emits a signal that covers a certain radius and 50 users at a time can access the service as long as they have a smartphone. So the water filtration system in, in Rwanda, um, can you tell us how that works? Is that part of the same device as the charging station or, or is that a separate device? So essentially uh, it's an expansion of the solar hub, so just the charging station that we described earlier. It's just that within the same device there is a water tank um, a 40, 40 liter capacity um, that users put their water in with buckets and then it goes through a triple, I, triple line, um, triple layer, layer filtration system. Um, so depending on the micro, micron opening of the filters, different particles get blocked. Um, and then by the end process of filtration, you get purified water. Um, at a certain standard, you can obviously um, put different um, filters to improve quality and kill more bacteria, more vi even viruses in some cases. Um, and all this is within one device along with lighting, so it's three in one, and we call it Swapsy. So it's a solar water alternative purifier and charger, that's what the initials um, stand for. Um, 
overall, uh, there are two two types of swaps that we have. The one with uh, f- 40, 40 liters per hour uh, capacity, and then we can do six, uh, 60 as well, so 600 per day. Um, that depends on the capacity of the tank. Mm-hmm. It's, so it's individuals, they bring mm-hmm. their water and the... Filtra- they run it through the filtration system mm-hmm. and then they get clear clean water. Exactly. They Very press cool. the button and mm-hmm. then um, they, they get it filtered. But we can also connect it directly to the tap. It says that that would require um, probably more filters mm-hmm. of different um, micrometers, yeah, microns. And yeah, I was going to say, how, how often is that the case where there's a running tap in, in these... So there are uh, running tops that, um, th- so they drill and then they place, um, so so they just um, take water directly from the ground and it, it essentially is river, river water that uh, fills like aquifers and once the once they fetch enough water, they take enough water, then at, at seasons of uh, droughts, potentially this this source of water might finish and then they have to drill somewhere else so it's a it's a constant effort a constant struggle to find uh, potable drinking water but then the camp um collects it treats it they already have some mechanisms to treat it but it's through chemicals in in big mm-hmm. tanks so our device removes these chemicals and uh, removes uh different types of bacteria that can be found with within the potable water That's so essentially awesome. it's a it's a way of I- improving water quality to to some extent there are ways of making it even better mm, very cool it's a three-in-one device mm-hmm. swapsies <laughs> yeah swapsies <laughs> it's a great powerful acronym <laughs> If we backtrack just a yeah, little sorry, bit, I feel about like sidetracked. No, no, it's perfect. Very cool, yeah. So, how the idea was born, and you guys got support from from your university, and also you got quite a lot of coverage by the media. When did that happen? Was that right in the beginning or later at a later straight stage? Indeed, we um, we were really surprised that during the, this this journey, many people jumped on board to help us from day one. You know, we came up with a design. Uh, on a piece of paper, then we took it and asked uh, some local partners in Athens called, um, yeah, they're called Entech SA. Uh, they have a history in working in the solar sector and they helped us put the idea into practice and go to building places, uh, get the um, source of different components and manufacture to build the device. So we d- did a few rounds of testing and then we said, okay, we have enough finance for one or two units. But how can we scale it up? And then we thought crowdfunding is uh, the best way to, you know, speak directly to people, show them that we have something that can work. And um, it was it was surprising that many many wanted to help and and contribute, even not not in a financial way, even by, you know, um, suggesting us to incubate incubation schemes, uh, grant applications. The university put aside a a few a few grants for us and some other independent organizations and donors the heartbeat foundation they they all supported us and then we could do a second round of piloting that got the interest uh that got the attention of um some newspapers some magazines and that really helped us kickstart the whole effort and you know, from there, there take it and expand and grow. And, and these were some big name uh, newspapers, right? Which, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm 
so Reuters came, um, UNHCR uh, did a blog post, they covered our story. Um, we had a few interviews with uh, BBC Scotland. So it was, it, it was overall um, great to see like people mobilizing, also apart from this mainstream media, local newspapers in Edinburgh, um, you know, covering the story. The University of Edinburgh did a mini documentary on us for, uh, during the second round of piloting, July, July and August of 2017. And overall that helped. Um, yeah, we're really thankful for, uh, for all the support. Yeah, you guys got a lot of momentum, but it's understandable. Mm -hmm. It's um, not every university student does that, you know. Um, oh, thank you. How old yeah. were you when you started? So the, uh, during our second year, so um, probably like 18, 19. It was just wow. um, yeah, our first first few years at uni. And really during the fourth year was when we realized that um, there is room for improvements and you know you can start an idea from somewhere and then try and build on that by always identifying the needs of people identifying what they want to see how can you improve uh, even in a small way their um, standards of living within the camps we got inspired also by the concept of the lean startup methodology and what Eric Ries says in, um, describes as validated learning so learn by doing so you first go you check um what is the main need you provide an um, mvp like a minimum viable product and from then on you iterate your offering you um you can pivot your idea so essentially you adjust your offering to the needs of people mm, yeah it sounds like that's really what you guys did by mm -hmm. tailoring the prototype in rwanda and you, I saw photos of you in Greece um, going to the, the refugee camps. Did you have a chance to go to Rwanda as well at yeah, the implementation? Actually, it was this summer, a um, few days before our graduation, we had to go and in install them ourselves and ensure we find the right uh, people to run them. Because this time we tried a microfinance mechanism where we assign um, micro-entrepreneurs, so local residents. We give them a means of uh, employment, so a, a means of making some... Um, income on the of the side apart from their regular jobs by running the station, so essentially per charge and or per little uh, per uh, liter of water filtered, they uh, give us a few cents. So we we've set the price very low so that we don't compete with other people that offer services in the camp. Um, so essentially, this enables us to recover um, part of the capital um, employed to build the devices and also to replace filters and maintain the, the device because it has it entails some maintenance costs. So, so how big is your team and, and how many how many people are in the, the microfinancing system that you guys are using? So at the moment it's just a two, it, since it's a, under a piloting phase there are only two um, um, women running it in Rwanda. We we try to give opportunities to various residents and to first like screen them and select and then give them the option to run it. And so at the moment it's just two of them, but the overall team um, we've gone through various phases. At the moment it's just me and the other co-founder, uh, you know, juggling through things. <laughs> but people join us once we have new um, projects. We had a team of ten other classmates that we had, some of our classmates such as Adi. Odisha uh, mm. Basham joined us for the first first round. Um, so depending on on 
what sort of skills um, are needed for the development of the Raspberry Pi, for the engineering components, uh, crowdfunding, we um, get we outsource some help essentially. So what are your what are your guys's plans? What are the what are the next steps? You just started university at Imperial. Um, are you hoping to continue this while you're studying, or is this uh, something that that you're going to work on afterwards? That's actually a really good question. Looking looking ahead, definitely um, the concept of democratizing energy and designing um, systems that community scale projects, either solar or wind, are within. Um, my interest that's what I want to do so so that I can give back while designing resilient solutions um, I think this degree can help in terms of figuring out how to have a meaningful value proposition how to design mechanisms that can help um, the project grow we're in the stage of applying for uh, funding because it's always tough when once you rely on just philanthropy to implement such projects you want to find more uh, streams of income of generating finance for the project because we're running as a non-for-profit um, and the micro micro entrepreneur model some others cross subsidization models such as the the sale of uh, autonomous solar street lighting systems and then from the markups we make from these pro pro products uh, which we sell in other uh, european markets Part of the profits flow back to um, f flow back to projects like that that have a social social purpose in Africa, in Greece, in different uh, geographical um, locations. So, are you also generating electricity that you're then selling on the grid, or is the no? This is overall a thought that can be done, and then okay. and get, and okay, then, okay. but we are selling um, infrastructure, a few solar street lighting poles, some systems. Um, in mountain huts, in marinas, you know, in various um, ma markets, either in Europe or in in um, more economically developed countries, and then part of the profit, since we attach a markup, go mm -hmm. into the finance of these projects, so that we don't only rely on grants, crowdfunding, and you know, philanthropy overall. So trying to find this fine balance of sustaining this project and making it financially viable in the long run, as with most social enterprises. That's what determines the, the the future of the project, essentially. And I hope through the business school and through this degree to get a better understanding on this. And and just for the for the audience's mm -hmm. sake, what what degree are you studying? So essentially, um, the degree is climate change finance and management here at Imperial College. Um, it combines all the essential elements for these sort of schemes: uh, energy democratization, sustainable finance. Um, responsible investment. Um, it, it really gives you a great, a great background, and it puts you in the right position to start projects like that and continue. Alex is very good at selling this um, program. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in terms of the impact you're making, I uh, obviously the impact on the refugees' lives is, is mm -hmm. huge. Do you see a bigger impact among the refugee community or like the managers of the refugee camps in terms of switching to more sustainable solutions, whether it be solar electricity, wind electricity, or in any other area of sustainability? Exactly. I think um, there, are, there are a few success stories in uh, Jordan where camps have uh, turned completely, um, they're powered 100% by renewables and that 
indicates that once there is the need for electricity in off-grid settings and the the, the investment um you can you can implement such such grant schemes and uh, empower people um overall there is a great response in the refugee crisis in the humanitarian re response sector through um, renewables and i think this market can only only grow um as you identified um the impact is is really it's key when when you do this sort of projects so you you hear about a lot of initiatives a lot of things going on but it's always good to try and quantify um what is the impact how can you improve it how can you um, scale it up yeah so like what what other metrics are out there to to measure that so carbon savings overall um the the, the tons of co2 um reduced but someone can argue that also the, some of the devices and the components of making it are uh, carbon intensive. But we try to use uh, um, sustainable sources and recycled metals and other components to reduce the overall footprint of making the device. Then it's the number of people uh, using it, of course, and the number of kilowatts saved overall from, from the grid. So you also take into account your supply chain when you're, you took into account when you're designing the device? We try as much as possible uh, mm -hmm. while keeping costs down because that's always the, the challenge sometimes. Um, ethical sourcing for materials and trying to make it as sustainable as possible might raise um, expenses. And since your, your primary focus is to address needs and install as many devices as possible, you try to keep a fine balance between these two. But... Um, our goal is to also try recyclable woods and test different materials that are also like heat resistant and that protect the device and that they're not non-weaponizable because sometimes mm -hmm. in the camps you have problems with like vandalism through frustration or right. other reasons. So yeah, the actual design of the unit requires a, a little bit of thinking and always alterations and tweaking things, um, trying to find out what's the best combination of resource. Yeah, it's very important. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the times we don't realize um, our supply chain or the products, especially if you're designing a product. Uh, nowadays, within the sustainability field, it's a huge, huge topic, um, supply chain sourcing. So it's great that you guys take yeah. that into account as In, well. Indeed, and circular economy overall, in increasing the recyclability of, of components. As mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when while we're at the topic of sustainability, um, this is this is a bigger bigger question. What do you think needs to happen for sustainability to be achieved? Do you believe in small grassroots actions such as what Alpis is doing? Um, this is an individual. Mm -hmm. Well, it started by an individual and it made a big impact on a bigger scale. Or do you think that there needs to be government and business intervention? Oh, I see. Okay, I think that's a whole new topic. It's a it's a big topic. Um, it, it would be nice to touch some elements of it. But as you said, through grassroots innovation and through you know small initiatives that show the way uh, of doing things within communities that don't have access to electricity, because currently more than one point two billion people don't have access to electricity. Um, this is the way. This is the way forward. And also, um, what what we saw in 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 Africa by in in Rwanda is that some te technologies are leapfrogging. So, for example, um, mobile money and mobile transactions are growing. They're, it's, a bit, it's a huge uh, thing in Africa. Like in PESA and other... Exactly. Yeah. So this, this shows you that 
people people find the most efficient way of doing things within a certain um, set setting within a certain context and then um through this new innovation we can easily move for, uh, from fossil fuels to um, less carbon intensive you know future and achieving the the goal the, the, the sustainable development goals hopefully is just another question about Alpes. Is that what you had in mind when when you designed it, or when you thought about it? Just just moving towards renewables, or or did you focus more on the human impact? To be fair, we um, primarily am, aimed at the uh, humanitarian aspect mm -hmm. and giving back. It's just that our background and our degree in environmental sciences helped us do it in in a way that um, combines renewables. Um, and you know the, the the tech aspect of it in delivering such services, but along the way and through piloting, we've seen that there are ways of making it even more sustainable and of introducing different services. And overall, large scale community um, solar projects are the way forward for completely unelectrified settings. Yeah. I think, but as um, as you asked earlier, government intervention is key subsidization is key for uh, this sector and uh, definitely more microfinance uh, initiatives and and opportunities for users to s gradually pay back and cover the the, the the capital costs required to introduce such schemes yeah that's i mean your story is hugely inspiring and i mean maybe you can just provide kind of one or two tips on on what people can do on in their personal lives or um, based off your experience, what you would tell like a bustling entrepreneur uh, in the field and how they can get going on, on their own projects like this. So f a few tips, definitely not to hesitate to move from the ideation stage to the implementation, you know, just by starting with something on a piece of paper, if you um, can combine the right resources, assimilate resources and don't hesitate to knock on doors use the student card you know we're really lucky and privileged to be in in universities and in, in in places where support is offered to us incubation schemes mentorship schemes you just need to take an idea um start it somehow and then iterate it and pivot change change your your your, your approach if things don't work iterate them and essentially you'll um um find your way um, I, I like this analogy of never seeing it as a straight line, but more of a line that goes in multiple multiple directions. It looks chaotic at some point, and it, it can be um, stressful when you're in because you don't know exactly where it's going to lead you. But um, with the right support, definitely um, you can uh, make it happen. Yeah, very cool. Um, I think a lot of our listeners will be inspired just as we were when we first heard your story. Um, I hope so. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank, thanks for coming out and uh, and sharing your time and story with everyone. Yeah. Thank, thank you thank so you much for, for thank coming. Thank you for out. inviting me. Um, yeah. Hope hope you enjoyed this session. Yeah. Thanks. You can hear more about Alex's, or you can read more about Alex's story in the footnotes. Oh, and definitely one last thing to say to people that might be uh, interested in the. Uh, responsible investment sector and sustainability. Um, in the meantime, we're running the um, Responsible Investment and Social Impact uh, Careers Club. Um, yeah, I, I'm honored that I got assigned as the president, and uh, with Adina, we're working also on the same team. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, um, promoting promoting social action and starting um, social innovation here in Imperial. Um, 
hopefully you can join us in a few few more uh, events yeah. that are I'd, taking place. And on that note, it's very important to surround yourself with a community that supports you and and potentially find people with whom you can develop your ideas and clubs like this are, are an example. Exactly. Um, and here in Imperial, there's a, I find a huge um, movement and a, a huge community of people that want to do things and uh, that, that, that do want to be the change makers. Yeah, and sustainability needs to be done from the from the bottom up and the top down. So exactly. it's, it's in everyone's hands to be able to do something. Um, it's not one of those measures where you say, ah, I can't do anything. Yeah. So, so just get involved on a local level and see where it goes, see where it takes you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Act locally, think globally. How <laughs> <laughs> to get this, actually, as Scottish Pole Math from the city of Edinburgh started at this big concert. Thank you so much, Alex, for being on today. Thank um, you it was for very inviting me. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks, Alex. Take care. Bye. Take care. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on Green Minds at Imperial College. Check the show notes for our website and links to everything we talked about today. And don't forget to hit subscribe to stay up to date with all our episodes. Thank you.